Welcome back to Women Making Moves, where we celebrate the moves that women are making. My name is Amy Pons, and I'm a master certified life coach and a soul healer. I'm joined today with Deb Felzoy. Deb believes all employees deserve dignity and respect at work for well-being. Through Dignity Together, her coaching business, she helps employees define themselves according to their own values. She's built a base of more than 10,000 workplace anti-bullying legislation supporters and has helped hundreds of abused employees understand their abuse situations, discover their self-worth, and learn how to move on from their toxic work cultures. She's been quoted in numerous media outlets, including Red Book, Forbes, Monster, and Truthout. She hosts the Screw the Hierarchy podcast, founded End Workplace Abuse, and co-authored the Workplace Psychological Safety Act. Deb, welcome. Thanks so much for having me, Amy. I loved reading your bio because we do such similar things based on our, our both of our experiences. And I think it's so gorgeous that we, and I won't speak for your experience, me personally, I understood that I kept going after more of the same in my 20-year career in, in corporate America. And I was almost seeking out the places where I don't know whether it was something I wanted to fix or I was like, but I just kept seeking out more of the same in my experience. And that has led me to understand that I'm a cycle breaker and I help others to break cycles. And I do love how you know that everyone's individual abuse story in the workplace is so particular and unique to their soul. So it doesn't, there's not a one size fits all of so I'd love to hear more thoughts about that. Yeah. I mean, as much as we've identified like a playbook to how this works, I think the why behind, or I, I should say like the, the, the journey through healing is different for everyone, you know, some similarities with it, but really, I mean, for me in particular, I had to do some real soul searching to really understand my relationship to power and authoritarian leadership or management, I should say, and just really understanding what I value and what what I want out of my life long term, instead of really focusing on approval from others or, you know, what what they want from me. So it was something in my life that I'd thought about and something that I had personal struggles around, just different messages I got from childhood. But and I hate to frame workplace abuse as something I'm glad that happened to me because it, it's it shouldn't happen to anyone. But that post-traumatic growth experience can be life-changing. At least for me, I felt like a much stronger person coming out of it than when I went into the abuse to begin with. So, you know, I think that journey is so important for people to just really understand like who they are, what they value, what they want out of life out of the long term. And we don't have to surrender ourselves to what culture's teaching us to value or what our family taught us to value or our employer. We, you know, we can carve out our own path and space that aligns with what we want. That's absolutely right. And I really resonate with what you just said, because it took a lot of my soul searching as well. I came up in a dynamic of less than mental, physical, emotional abuse. And so when I embarked into the workplace, I was looking for more of that same meaning. I was looking for someone to tell me what my worth was or value was. And I was always looking for the person in charge, not realizing that all along I was in charge of my own self. And I was always trying to conform so hard to, and these are the actual terms that were used as in my experience through corporate America was you were always being groomed to be at the next level, which typically meant to act 
like and present and show up like a mid-age white man is what really what I was learning to to conform to. And none of it ever felt good in my soul. I was like, wait a second, I'm an avid feminist and I have really strong opinions and thoughts. And that's the kind of thing that wasn't able to be explored in my time there. And I also know exactly what you mean for which, and I, I post about this a lot. I am so grateful that my spirit team in the universe kept placing things in my path so that I would get to the point where I remembered who the fuck I was. And I say that because that is what those, some of those pinchiest moments were the ones I'm not grateful for the, for the abuse. And I know that you, based on what you said, I know, you know what I mean by that. I'm not grateful for the abuse. I'm, I'm, I'm so grateful to have had the experience to get me into a place where I am aligned with my greatest, highest self and energy so that I can go out and not do more of the same. What's so fascinating to me is that when I thought I had quote unquote made it, meaning like titles and money, I was actually at my most limited, my most boxed in. Whereas now I have so many exquisite ways of not only giving back to humanity, but to myself first. That's what's the most beautiful part to me. What I think about when you, I hear you say grateful for the experience that we have had, not to get it twisted that it's not the abuse. It's for the experience for us to be able to become to break out of our own cocoon. Yeah. I I love the way you just described that because it does feel like when you're catering to the patriarchy and white supremacy and just this whole system that places certain people with more of a value than other people, it's like freeing to remove yourself from that. I mean, not just like the freedom of our own schedules or, but just the freedom of like, I don't have to subscribe to that corporate ladder climbing and I can decide what I want out of what, what I can, what I'll subscribe to and what I'll reject out of what is expected of me. Yes. And now we help others do the same. The most beautiful thing is by the way, for any of you listening that want to climb the ladder, go ahead. That's your path. That's your journey. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, For those who, you know, this doesn't feel quite right. And I want more and this doesn't, I'll give you a perfect example. While I was in corporate and the head of the women's employee resource group, Roe got overturned. Can you imagine not talking about that? That's when it got the most pinchy for me because I realized, wow, the thing I feel the most passionately about in terms of women's autonomy, I'm not able to, I'm not able to do that and also do this nine to five anymore. And so that again was one more thing. You know, when we think about grateful for things, not that I'm grateful for Roe being overturned. What I am grateful for is that was one of the other big pushes to say, I'm meant to be on the front lines of change in humanity and for women specifically. And again, it's like one more thing that that I know to be true, which is about my highest purpose in the universe, having my back and showing me what it what it's like to remember myself on a soul plane. And I was like, oh, that's what I came to earth for. Got it. On it. I'm, I'm here. I got it. I'm, I'm paying attention. So yeah. 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 I love that. Like just following where you're energized and yeah. 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 So yeah. what are the moves that you're excited to be making? What's really fascinating is the way that I found you was that funny enough, and I haven't told you this yet, but this summer I was going on vacation to Wisconsin, long, long road trip. And I was literally like typing out a presentation that I wanted to take to, I live in Illinois to like my local legislature about creating some sort of a OSHA or an EPA, but for 
for like psychological safety or abuse. And I was telling my husband, I was like, what if there was a federal organization that would follow up on something like OSHA might, if there was something like a tripping hazard at a workplace. And I got really passionate. I started like, you know, furiously typing. And I was like, I'm going to do this. This is going to be because my, my business unlock the magic. I'm in the business of psychological safety, whether that be on the one-to-one coaching perspective or, you know, larger like helping support Workplace Psychological Safety Act. So you can imagine my delight when um, Sasha Thompson, a fellow coach, she was on an, an earlier podcast guest. She made a post one day and she was in support of the WPSA. And I was like, what? This exists? And I was so excited. So I'm like, wow, this is already in motion. So I'd love to hear about the act itself, but also Dignity Together and Workplace Abuse, your podcast. Like, tell me all the moves. Yeah. So yeah, I feel like there's a lot of moving parts. What I'm most excited about is really, it feels like it's been a long time of getting traction with making this issue well-known enough. I was bullied at a college in Boston. I was a a staffer there um, in communications, and, and this was 2007, and I was pretty appalled that, you know, somebody could make up false accusations and do all these sort of harmful things in the workplace. And shortly after that connected with a professor who had written a piece of legislation that we really just wanted to create a movement around. And having worked in a couple of different groups, it just wasn't happening. There wasn't action being taken or the the language didn't have like the teeth that we thought would really move the needle on this issue. So last year, actually, a couple of us went out on our own and drafted our own piece of legislation, the Workplace Psychological Safety Act. And we're like, let's just do this on our own terms, how we think it should be done. And it was so freeing to like, not be distracted by a lot of the politics or things that were getting in our way. So Incidentally, working on my master's in social work. So I had like the summer off and I, you know, we had notice of a hearing in Massachusetts. We have a a bill in Massachusetts and we've had one active in Rhode Island. We're hoping to go state by state, introducing it in a few more states in the next couple of years at least. But we had this momentum. We reached out to a lot of experts on different angles of this issue people with the Me Too movement, people on the business side, the mental health side, just really trying to paint a really clear picture of what this looks like and the damage it does to individuals, to their extended network, their families, the employer themselves, to society. And it was super energizing. So kind of put a little bit of the coaching not really on the back burner, but really focused a lot on and workplace abuse and getting that more off the ground so that we can create this movement. So people can feel some relief by like, not just hearing the term workplace abuse or workplace bullying or workplace mobbing, but also know that if they don't feel ready to speak up about it, or they feel like it will put them at risk somehow that there is this growing group of people who are saying this is not right. We deserve to feel psychologically safe at work. So I'm super excited for the growth in that. I mean, we we had some goals in terms of increasing our base that we just surpassed by a lot because this issue is really resonating with people. And I've always, ever since it happened to me, kind of seen it as really overlapping with discrimination. In my case, it felt like sexism, but I couldn't 
put my finger on it exactly, even though the, the bully was only targeting women, but she was also a woman. It would have been hard had I decided to go the legal route to prove that it was sexism. But the behaviors can be exactly the same between bullying and discrimination. Discrimination adds that extra layer of bias through action. And sometimes with bullying, we might think it's sexism or racism, ageism, ableism, any ism, but we can't prove it. So we really wanted a tool to focus on the actual behaviors that happen and a way to hold employers accountable because so many people go to report what's happening to them, whether it's, you know, false accusations or sabotage or verbal abuse. And they're often led to believe that there is some sort of protocol in place to address this. And they're just, they quickly realize that there's not, or if there is, it's not being followed because nobody's holding the employer accountable for that. So we really wanted to lean in on the employer accountability piece. And, you know, it's one thing to have a a bully who is either narcissistic or just isn't trained, you know, in how to manage, but it's another thing for the employer to not step in and either start an investigation and then ultimately like coach counselor discipline that bully. So it's really been, it's been great to like illuminate how this phenomenon works because it's so isolating. People are feeling, often feeling shamed by it. They, they stop being able to trust people and they self-isolate and they eventually often have to choose between their health or a paycheck And if they choose their health and leave, that might exacerbate the isolating. And so I want to be able to connect people in their trauma of feeling betrayed by the bully and the employer and the culture in general that says, you know, these damages aren't important enough for us to regulate them and for us to try to make you feel whole again after you've been harmed. So it's been It's been great through all of these tools, whether it's like individual coaching, group coaching, or the advocacy work, you know, or like through the podcast to, to like help people understand that it's a system that they're going up against, whether that be the culture built on positive and negative stereotypes and the employer that doesn't want to address what's happening that I think can help people detach from what they're going through. And also when when they hear other people's stories, they sort of start to see these connecting threads that help them think, okay, I I'm starting to really understand that I'm not the problem and it, it lessens the internalizing of, of the betrayal. So it's super exciting to like be growing with this work, starting to feel like it's getting momentum. Yeah, it, it for me when I saw it, it was it was a relief for me, and I'm a I'm a year out from my experience. And the thing that happens, and I'll send you a couple of posts that I made this week, or if you want to pop by my page, I made a couple of posts about because I'm because I'm a year out. I made some just anniversary posts about my experience and some of the things that were said to me when I did share abuse was happening. And what happens is, and I want to pinpoint on what you said about the isolation piece. When you start sharing, in my experience and in the company I was in, they were strong advocates about employees working it out with each other, even if there was a power kind of disparity between the two. So you can imagine when a more junior person goes to try to talk this out, you know, talk it out with someone who is senior to them. Well, that puts an immediate target on their back, whether they are 
starting to get worked out of the business, you know, and that means like they get put on a pip or something like that. It really like, it's a, it's a slower and a more quiet retaliation because suddenly there will be things about performance that will pop up despite a glowing past. And then the other thing that can happen is what's interesting in my situation, I was starting to share with actual, you know, several women, specifically leaders about what was happening. And the basic vibe I got was, yeah, I know it is what it is. And I was like, oh my gosh, I really can't get any help here from these women who were saw it, knew it, didn't do anything about it. And I was coming to them for help and there's nothing really, they were telling me there's nothing they can do. And then further going to HR and that becomes then the moment you share with HR, they're in the business of protecting the company, not the individuals. So that's out. And then further to your point about if you wanted to pursue legal, you know, I I did have those conversations as well. And the folks doing it were, they're like, you'll never catch me. I'll never write anything down. That was really the thing that I was told. And it was like, that's true. And lawyers were like, yeah, what sucks is that you can't do anything about that. That was smart of them to say that. And because there's no precedent. So I said, okay, today's my last day. Yeah, I'm I'm so glad you saw it objectively cuz yeah, it is this like it's just like this coat of fear that they create when they don't actually address these things and by having anti-discrimination trainings or sexual harassment trainings, they lead you to believe that they care about the environment so then when you go to make a complaint to HR and they're only caring about what their legal department is saying to them and their own liability, then yeah, it's so it's sad the amount of people who don't speak up because they know that the system is broken and they know that it's designed that way and that the employers know the loopholes to protect themselves, like you said, like not documenting things. And I can't prove it. Can you imagine if we lived in a world, and I want to think this is possible, of an organization being so transparent about in real time, I feel bullied by you. Oh my gosh, help me understand. I did not intend to do that. And like having a a very frank real-time dialogue about that. Yeah. I mean, it would be, it would be amazing if, if we could put people above profits and just treat people like they have feelings and that they're human. Yeah. It would be I think people would probably love to come to work and love to love to feel accomplished and part of something bigger if they knew that they were going to be supported when they fell off. And I love what you said about putting people above profits. And what I talk a lot about is we can make money in this world and also be human. (laughs) There's this, you know, we have gone so far into the masculine, especially for the past hundred years. The divine feminine is calling us back in. And I always talk about this. The divine feminine does not mean that we all sit on the floor and hold hands and, you know, sing songs. It is what it means is you nurture the environment around you so that all humans feel a basic safety and that's physical, mental, emotional, that aligns the energies so that you can be in a state of receiving. That's the balance that I'm talking about. It's not getting the masculine out. It's ushering, it's inviting the divine feminine back in to restore that balance of humanity. And if we could get to a spot, and I'm not going to say if anymore, I'm going to say when, when we get to the spot in the future where we can have that balance and say, okay, something real is happening within this human being. And there's a basic dignity. And you said this at the beginning and in your bio, there's a dignity that everyone deserves that by being human, our birthright to be here, that we should be able to have that safety when we're going somewhere and we spend the bulk of our lives 
in an environment and around other humans. It's it's what we deserve. And I, I know it will happen in the future. And this is why after this conversation, I want to get so involved with you and your organization, anything I can do to help. Because again, I was elated to even see that this was somewhere further ahead than I was even thinking. So I want to point now to a a post that you made this week and it was actually one day ago. And the meme, I really like this. And I want to hear more about you state five things about workplace bullying or workplace abuse. I want to hear more about the post, what inspired you to post it and how we can do more to support WPSA. Workplace bullying and mobbing often start when you perform well, then speak up about a problem. If your boss is insecure, they often see you as a threat and spread a false narrative about you, manipulating you behind these scenes to push you out. Wow, I couldn't have teed that up anymore by what I just said. And I swear I didn't try to do that. But um, kind of what I was talking about before, like the three options that you have, one, going to your boss, boss's boss, or boss's boss's boss, or HR, or trying to get legal help. It's like all of those combined, that tends to grow more and more tension and friction in your day-to-day where you as the person that's trying to get help, now people around you start to find out about what you're trying to do or they automatically, I think they probably go to the fact that you're trying to get them fired, which is not what you're trying to do. You're trying to get some safety for yourself, but that's the assumption. And that's what starts the snowball of having the individual needing to get out. Yeah, I see it a lot as this system of power and control where if the the boss or the employer in general feels threats to their power and control versus having a collaborative environment where they want differing opinions to have better results, then they'll often push back and do anything that they can to go up against that threat. And it really comes from fear and insecurity, and their tool is to change the narrative or to sabotage you, to to somehow weaken you or to make you believe that you're the problem or it's your weakness that is causing this. And that's, although every story looks different, that's typically the, the playbook that's involved. And I mean, I loved what you were saying earlier about like the the masculine and, and feminine and needing both, but I feel like our culture is so against, you know, we're so, we're so against feelings and, and, mm-hmm. you know, talking about, talking about things to move past them. And we're so focused on the power and control and competition that we're actually losing money by not, or losing opportunities by not focusing on ourselves as humans, because that is where we can grow and do our best work and feel the best about ourselves. So That post has just really been resonating with people in terms of how it's worked, you know, how that playbook has played out for them, that there really is no avenue because we don't have protection. So a lot of HR departments or lawyers will say there's no law against this. So that's why we're we're working on the legislation to at least move the needle and have employers and bosses or coworkers second guess themselves when they want to go down that path. You know, not everyone is going to do that, but at least have some people question, is this the the best way to manage people or to work with people or to run run an organization? Yeah. And I I want to give space to the and I'd love your thoughts on this. The people who are harming other people in the workplace, they learned that somewhere. They learned it from either their upbringing, or the people that are in charge right now in large part in workplaces across the world are 
coming from a time where there was literal, like their everyday was scarce. So I'm thinking about like the depression. And so they created what it means to, what it looks like to quote unquote, make money. So they prescribed what professionalism means. They prescribed what workplace versus home looks like. And they dictated all of that. What happened along the way, so I want to give space to those because they're also humans. They're also hurting. And what doesn't feel safe to them is what we're trying to do, which is to come in and invoke change in their workplace, which they have probably likely, and I'm going to broad brush here, they have compartmentalized their kind of home and work life. And to bring more of their home into the work life feels unsafe to them and insecure. So what I'm proposing is that we're not trying to we're not trying to exclude those people either. It's like, let's all try to be part of this to say, what by any degree of change could we improve for everyone to feel safe? Because what those people, some people are doing that are in charge, and it's not even generational, there's people that harm people across every generation. But again, they've learned that somewhere. And what if we could bring that into light and say, what would you feel safe with? You know, we're seeing some of these things play out right now where, you know, the forced mandate of coming back to the physical office. That's one more example of maybe not workplace abuse per se, but some people might think that it is, um, might feel like it is based on like how that was enforced. But also it's that lineup of people in charge that don't know, that aren't comfortable with using Zoom or like some of these, the digital way. So they feel safe coming back into the physical office, which therein impacts the entire organization. All said, whether it's learned, developed, or what have you, it's more of returning back to how does this human being feel in front of me? What does it look like? It's not a one size fits all, but what can what what can we do as leadership to help not only the people in our charge be safe and feel good, but also ourselves? What does that look like? Or what could that look like? And giving them that space too, because along the way, they lost that safety. So you talked about the workplace abuse playbook, and I'd love to hear more about what the playbook is, but high level, you list five things here. Workplace abuse typically begins when one employee who's generally insecure or jealous is threatened by the competence or demeanor of another employee. In toxic work environments, when employees report psychological abuse to HR higher ups, those authorities willfully ignore the complaints. The employer fails to alter the employee's work environment. Uh, The abuser wins. The perceived competition is gone. Of course, the trauma occurs. So when you say playbook, are you taking us through what typical or an average abuse in the workplace looks like? Yeah, that's sort of the the typical scenario. You know, not every scenario fits under that. But very often there will be a high performer who is perceived as a threat and then the employer won't step in when it's reported and it leads to all kinds of trauma and and loss for the person who's who's being targeted and at the end of the day you know when when that person leaves the abuser has their threat gone and the employer has their threat of liability gone so all is yeah. well yeah so it's it's definitely a a way for employers and higher ups or bosses to maintain their power you know through their abusive tactics and I really liked what you said about that they're, those people are coming from a lens to whether that's childhood trauma or training about or lack of training about what, you know, good management, great management looks like. Or it could be tied to demographics where if you're in a certain group, you feel more entitled to power and control and you use 
stereotypes to reinforce positive, your positive stereotype and other people's negative stereotypes because it benefits you to keep the status quo. So there could be a number of reasons. It is absolutely true that hurt people hurt people. So that's, it's just a challenge in people self-identifying with this issue and on the abuse side. And so if employers can create a culture where they say, here's what's expected, here's what will involve consequences, but here's, you know, why, because we want people to be treated and feel like human beings, then I think it can help on both sides. To your point, what we're both doing is we're kind of, you're tackling it on both ends. Like you're creating this federal legislation so that companies have to do something. And you're also having, you know, doing the coaching and the, you know, social work to help people heal from those situations. So it's like, it's both that I want to do more of that work as well on both ends, because that's really where I see we're going to make the biggest impact because it's also trained patriarchy and power. And also both men and women are harmed by and both perpetuate the patriarchy Mm -hmm. and the power surge and all of that kind of stuff. So got work to do, but the good news is people like us exist and you're making so many strides. So at this point, what would you share with someone like, let's say, and you probably already have had this conversation, but people who don't want that act to pass or like to grow momentum, like what does that conversation look like and why? And then also what would you say right now that you need the most in terms of movement or momentum to get more of those states to do more? So for instance, I want Illinois to be the next one. Like I, what can I do? Yeah. So for the people who oppose this, I mean, that typically includes people in power who don't want to give up that power. Maybe they own a small business and they legitimately don't want more regulations put on them, even if they believe that a healthy work environment is important and they work to create one. They don't necessarily want the liability if something crops up and they don't have one for some reason. So we're trying to make it We're actually working on some edits to the bill language to really make it so that employers, the least amount of extra work possible for them to abide by the the law while actually giving people who've been targeted some legal recourse and for us to be able to move the needle on safer workplaces. There are also people who I think maybe understand that their membership in a certain demographic has helped get them to where they are and they don't want the status quo disrupted. And so we've had a little bit of pushback from some people who don't understand that overlap with discrimination or, you know, implicit bias and how that can play out with people in power treating any any threat to their power as an other. But the the truth is that most people have experienced this at some point in their career and it resonates with them. Even for those who have privilege, uh, most people with privilege by their skin color or their gender aren't in power positions. So anyone can be bullied or mobbed at work. And a lot of people have experienced this. So I think people are coming to an understanding that we need to tend more to our mental health, especially after the pandemic, and that we need to address this just like we address physical hazards. Psychological hazards are important to address too. And they actually, the neuroscience says that they are one and the same. Psychological hazards can show up on brain scans. So, you know, it can be reversed also, but there is often brain damage when 
when there is abuse. So in terms of how people can get involved, I strongly encourage people to go to WPSact.org. And we are, we're really focusing on the movement building aspect. So we will have some trainings in early 2024 for anyone interested in getting this introduced in their state. Like I said, we have efforts in Massachusetts and Rhode Island, but we also have a team starting in New York City with some powerhouse advocates. We have some, we have a team in Texas that has gotten some momentum with getting something introduced in Texas. We'd love to focus on the states that we can have more traction in, but really if somebody feels strongly about introducing the bill in their state, we would love to connect and and talk more. Like I said, we'll have like formal trainings in 2024, but also anyone who has a background in marketing or outreach or anyone who can help build this movement because there's so much marketing work. My background is also in marketing, but it's not in every aspect of marketing. So, and there's just there's so many areas where people probably have more expertise than I do. And we can all come together and like really, really make some noise around this issue. So WPSact.org is the website. WPSact.org. Where else can we find you? Um, I'm also at DignityTogether.org for coaching. And then whether that's individual coaching or group coaching. And then in our work, we've really seen that it's not just the interpersonal abuse that is that are forms of abuse. We've identified 24 different issues, wor- workers' rights issues across the country that are being introduced in nearly every state in the country, or some of them in every state in the country, around just different issues related to how employers have too much power. So whether that's paying tipped workers a subminimum wage or not giving, not having fair scheduling for hourly workers, or there's bills around wage transparency, pay equity, abusive waivers, non-disclosure agreements, all sorts of tools that employers use to keep themselves, keep their power tactics hidden so that we don't come together and go up against them. So that's at endworkplaceabuse.com. People can take action in any state. And we're really hoping to use that as a tool to uh, work with other organizations who are pushing for related issues that people in our base have likely also experienced, but we can all put our bases together and really make some change. Deb, closing remarks as we wind down here. One of the biggest challenges in this whole issue, and I think we touched on it at the beginning, is is this getting back to like what we value is so important to navigating this situation and for healing from it, to just really intentionally live our lives based around what we value so that we're not, you know, it'll help us internalize issues less. It'll help us decide, you know, what we do and don't want in our lives. And it will help us like gravitate towards what's going to energize us and, you know, what, what we're, we feel like our life purpose is. So I think it's really important for people to know that if they've gone through this, that there is hope on the other side, recovery, even if we can, you know, still get triggered by the situation, recovery is possible. So there is hope and there's also often healing in action. So there's, 
there's a lot of ways that people can can take their lives back after abuse at work. Thank you, Deb. Thank you. 